five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Unforgettable. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. The one thing that Dale Hunter has not been afraid to do, and I'm not sure if he'll do it with this group or not, is play three forwards on his uh, three defensemen on his power play. Uh, we saw it in the Canada-Russia series in, in the Western League portion of the series, uh, where he had three defensemen out there, and, and it actually worked out pretty well. So if that is the case, and that changes the dynamic of the quote 13 forward or quote 7C, because those guys now will have to back up some of the minutes if they do go and do that with with a three defense instead of the power play. So that'll be an interesting dynamic just to kind of keep your eye on. Hey there, and welcome to Sports and More, the podcast, episode 27, featuring Sam Cosentino from Rogers Sportsnet. Uh, an interesting clip there talking about using three defensemen uh, in the umbrella form at the World Juniors for Team Canada. Will we see that? We'll have to wait and see, but uh, looking forward to this conversation uh, with uh, the CHL on Sportsnet color analyst, Sam Cosentino. Uh, By the way, our top three on Sports and More Live, uh, which you can hear daily, Monday to Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Mountain Time on the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network. Uh, You can also hear these podcasts on the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network. Uh, check it out, 12OunceSportsRadio.com. Uh, but our top three on the show today was top three tag teams as NWO, New World Order, went into the WWE Hall of Fame or will be going into it. So we talked tag teams as our top three. Uh, if you have one, uh, a list, uh, send me a note at Duck Millard on Twitter. Or you can text the show, one 803 You can even phone us. Leave a message for the show, and we'll play it on our next podcast. Uh, Speaking of podcasts, we got a lot of them at Podcast Alley. The last episode of this show, Sports & More, featured Mark Spector. It was a great conversation about his new book coming out, or it's out right now, called Road to Gold. It's the untold story of the program of excellence, how it began at Hockey Canada. Also, Dan Sutton from Tantalus Labs is a uh, featured guest on the Cannabis 101 podcast. And Jeff Cruschel from Crush Performance on the Prospects Baseball Show. All of that can be found at podcastalley.ca. And before we get to our interview with Sam, just want to tell you about the Acme Meat Market Trivia Contest, a gift card from Acme Meat Market up for grabs. Visit Corey, Amanda, and their great staff in the Ritchie Market at 9570 76th Avenue in Edmonton. Check out their website, acmemeatmarket.ca. Your hint is world junior history. And before we get to our interview with Sam, let's find a little bit more about Mr. Cosentino in the bio. (laughs) 
time for the bio. Sam Cosentino was born in Toronto and grew up in Mississauga, Ontario, loving both baseball and hockey. At 16, he worked for the Toronto Blue Jays as bat and ball boy before heading to Spring Harbor College in Michigan, where he played baseball and earned a degree in broadcasting. After the baseball strike, he rejoined the Blue Jays in 95 as their visiting clubhouse, home assistant clubhouse, and equipment manager until 2002. He was the play-by-play voice for the Canadian Baseball League in 2003 and called some Montreal Expos games in 2004, both on the SCORE television network, before he joined Sportsnet in 2004 as a Blue Jays host and a color analyst on the CHL on Sportsnet. Sam, it is uh, great to chat with you once again. Uh, and, uh, you know, the great thing about having you on this show is I don't have to give out any kind of uh, Twitter handle that you have because you have <laughs> steadfastly stayed away from Twitter. Back in the Pipeline show days, we would give you the gears about not being on Twitter, and here you are, still avoiding Twitter. You know what? I thought I was a passing fat. I guess I was wrong. <laughs> oh, man. No, still... Uh... Still not in that space yet for, like I used to say to you years ago, it's probably coming at some point. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, so, Sam, uh, you're uh, in tune with uh, the Canadian Hockey League, obviously, as uh, part of the CHL on Sportsnet. And uh, we wanted to chat with you about Canada's World Junior Camp, which is a, a couple of days in at the time of this recording. And stories will develop throughout the week. Um, the, the one story I wanted to start with is, they're in Oakville, uh, which is uh, pretty close to you, and they're using uh, Olympic ice surface arenas, which kind of, I guess, gets them ready for what they'll see in the in the Czech Republic. Um, you know, if you're out in, in Calgary, you could do that at the uh, Hockey Canada situation. But obviously, I, I think a smart move um, just to get the players used to the extra room and, and particularly the goalies with the lines. No question about it. And I think that, that is a wise move. I mean, Listen, all all the preliminary stuff is essentially done on on smaller ice. When you go back to the summer showcase, and uh, you know, uh, when you go back to looking at what uh, happened in the Canada Russia series, for most of these players uh, that aren't in the college ranks, they're playing in the CHL in rinks that are NHL regulation or smaller. So to be able to get the group together on the big ice is super important because it does give you a lot different look. And, and maybe, as you mentioned, the most impacting, the goaltenders, um, just on angles, rebounds, uh, you know, the ability to, to play the puck, uh, you know, different in the double IHF as well. So there's a lot of, lot of good reasons and positive reasons that when things are done here, by the time you get over to the Czech Republic on the weekend, it's not going to seem like a, such a foreign ice surface to them. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that you do have to get used to. Uh, you have to get used to food, uh, the time as far as jet lag and, and getting adjust to it. So so as much as you can get players used to something before they head over there and it becomes a non-issue, uh, the better. What What's your thoughts on, uh, um, I guess, Olympic-sized ice surface, the big ice compared to the small ice surface that we play on here in North America? Do you think one is better than the other? Uh, I prefer the smaller ice myself. Uh, I think with the way the game's gone and the skill and the speed, I think it, it's it's better suited. And I know a lot of people say, oh, the speed's better on the big ice. But when things are opened up that much more, um, essentially you're just talking about more play away from the net. The smaller ice surface 
forces you to be more towards the middle of the ice. And where does everything happen? Where are the best scoring chances? In the middle of the ice, not from the outside. So that's why I tend to like the smaller ice surface. Uh, the other reason, uh, purely from a fan's perspective, is that there's more seats that are closer to the ice um, in the in the NHL size rink. So, you know, I think it has kind of a, a dual purpose. And I know a lot of people have talked about all oh, the NHL and widening the surface and making it bigger. But if you look at today's game, it's not so much about the physical play. It's about the speed and skill, the ability to make plays in, in small spaces. And, um, you know, I think that, that continues to be true. Um, on on this ice surface as opposed to the Olympic surface. All right, so the one guy who's not on an ice surface for the past couple of days uh, for Hockey Canada, although he played a lot of hockey and a lot of travel over the weekend, is uh, Alexi Lafreniere, uh, the guy most people expect to go first overall this June. Um, is it a big deal or no deal that he's not skating right now? Well, I mean, it's interesting because if I go back to early November and our our Canada-Russia series, he didn't play in those two games either. And while it was at one point thought he was going to, then he was out, then they pulled the tweet back, and then they said, no, no, he's not coming. So I just wonder if, um, you know, what's going on with some training in the season, some bumps and bruises that have occurred as being a target guy through the course of the first half of the season, and then coming through a big weekend of travel and and playing well, that uh, Hockey Canada felt it was best to, to just give him some time off. And I think they can afford to do that with this particular player because he's a returning player and they know well he's going to be on the team. So why, if he's not feeling at 100%, would you put him through the paces if you know you can benefit better two weeks down the road from the rest that he's gathering in these in these few days here in Oakville? Yeah, I, I see that point. And uh, he, especially with the amount of pl- uh, hockey that he played this past weekend and, uh, you know, once again, put up a, a whack of points. I think he had like uh, 10 points in, in the three games or something like that. Um, if it continues and he wasn't on the ice uh, by, say, Friday, I think then that when you can start uh, getting concerned. Um, gelling uh, for a returning guy, uh, gelling with, uh, you know, some of his returning teammates and, and getting used to everything isn't as big of a deal. So with this guy, you know he's on the team. You just want to get him on the ice to make sure it's nothing serious. Yeah, no question. And I'll, and I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know if we see him before Friday, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay. You're going to go up against the big, heavy youth sports all-star team. And that's, a, you know, the team the last couple of years, that they're bigger, they're older, they're stronger. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure you'd want to subject yourself uh, to that if you're a guy who's not really at 100%. So to be perfectly honest with you, I'd be shocked if we saw him before Friday at all. And if you look at from the time that he would have ended and appeared at camp on the Monday, I'd say you probably don't see him in Europe on the ice until Monday. So that's essentially a full week, and that should be enough to secure whatever is ailing him at this point. And is that enough time for the other players to get used to playing with him uh, heading over to the Czech Republic? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he's more of a, more of a driver. So it, I think it's different if you're not so much a driving force on a particular line. But even from the wing, this is a guy who can drive the play. So I think it's a case where whoever he ends up playing with is going to be someone that he's going to help drive the offense to that line and not the other way around. And I think that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but overall, when you think about where we were coming to camp on the ninth, which is a Monday, then 
if you add a week to that, that's the 16th, which is a Monday. And then you're not talking about opening the tournament until the 26th. So you'd still have plenty of time that even if they got over there and he didn't get on the ice next Monday, there's still plenty of time between that point, the 16th and the 26th when they open. You have 10 days in there. I think you probably need three days to, to play on a line to, to gain some chemistry. You know, Dean, the thing you have to consider too is at some point, a lot of these guys have played together, whether it's under 18s, whether it's uh, under 17s, um, you know, whether it's just summer showcases, whatever the case might be. So I think the fact that the chemistry um, with other players, I think it's mitigated by that, by that just a little bit. That you know, at some point he's played with a lot of these guys over the course of the last couple of years. Yeah, that, that is a good point. Uh, they've been part of uh, different programs for sure. Um, what kind of fo- what kind of an offensive focus is going to run through Lafreniere? Uh, you know, some teams, um, you know, when you had a Connor McDavid, well, you know the offense is running through that guy on on that particular team. How much of the, uh, the offense is going to be built through him? Well, I mean, no question. And again, he's going to be the driver for his line. And it tends to be a little different when you consider someone who could play the center ice position. And traditionally, you think of that person as being the guy where the offense goes through. But I think whatever line uh, uh, Lexi ends up playing on, he's going to be the driving force behind that line. And, you know, he's such a smart player. And really, when you look at hockey, you think the traditional left wing, right wing center is nowhere near what it used to be, where you kind of have to stay in your lane and go up and down the ice in your particular lane. Now things are, are designed more in an F1, F2, F3 type of scenario. So you essentially have to be a little more versatile. You have to be able to play the off wing at times. And really the left wing center right thing appears pretty much only on face um, when you talk about the way the game's played these days. So again, it's not quite the, the same thing as saying, oh yeah, well he's got to be a driver of a line. For Alexi in particular, um, I'd, I'd say that's less and less the case. And is he going to be, you know, the focal point for this offense? Um, or, the, you know, is he the, the, the top line uh, number one player on this team? Or is are there other guys that can shoulder that load and it's going to be spread out? You know, how much of the offense does he have to produce himself? Well, I think he's going to have to be kind of the guy. I don't think there's any question about that because when I look at some of the younger players, and there are a lot of them here who are really skilled up front, I don't think it's fair to put that kind of responsibility on younger players. And even when you're talking about guys who were drafted last year, whether it's you know Connor McMichael who went 25th overall uh, to Washington, or Dylan Cousins who went seventh overall to Buffalo, um, you know you're still talking about guys who are one year removed from their from their draft. So guys like Akil Thomas drafted a couple of years ago, um, you know, you tied to Landria, Dallas picked 13th overall a couple of years ago. I think you've got to lean a little bit heavier on those guys uh, to be the key uh, offensive pieces. Now, you look at Lafreniere, here's a guy who, because he's a, a late birthday, essentially has that extra year of playing junior hockey. He's, he's got a year under his belt at this particular tournament. So I would consider him as one of those older players. Um, but there's no doubt he's going to have to be a top three scorer on this team, I believe. But I don't know uh, after him if you're going to see someone whose numbers really jump out at you. And I don't know in terms of this group altogether, especially because of its youth, 
that you're going to see that high-powered offense. I think you're going to see a team that's going to be a lot more involved in games that are 3-2, 4-2, 4-3, maybe even some 3-1-2-1 some games. And, and I know Dale Hunter, as much as you, you talk about the, the big offensive uh, juggernaut that has been the London Knights for years, he's a guy who prefers to, to get it into the trenches. And just knowing where this team is with its youth and some of its inexperience, uh, knowing that they're going to have to protect the goaltenders a little bit because there's not a lot of experience there. I think uh, when I look at this group in its entirety and, and how they're going to go about things, you know, you might have one or maybe two guys who are at the top of the list in terms of, of driving your offensive numbers, but everything else is going to be bunched up in between and you're going to see a, a lot different, uh, more concerted defensive effort, I believe. All right, so they're getting help. Uh, Joe Valeno loaned by Detroit. Um, when does he need to be there, and is there an adjustment going from the AHL to the World Juniors? No, I think there's a bit of an adjustment there. I don't think there's any any question about it. I mean, you know, for Joe, he was just kind of getting up to speed at the AHL level. His first 10 or 12 games, it was, wasn't much of a factor there, but he started to play better of late. But the experience as a whole, especially as a returning player, is going to be huge for Joe. And the other part of it is, I mean, you have Steve Eisman, uh, who's been a part of Hockey Canada on several occasions previously, so I think he knows the value of what of what Joe brings to the table. Um, having said that, you know, there's going to be slight adjustment to the ice surface. And the way I understand it, um, their Grand Rapids Griffins are out in the West Coast right now, I think at Bakersfield, uh, by the time that road trip comes to an end is the time when his loan will start so if i had to venture a guess i'd say he'll probably show up at some point in europe sometime after saturday okay uh what about uh, what are you hearing on anything on noah dobson uh of the islanders or, or barrett hayden of arizona being available for this team yeah so the three other guys and kirby doc would be the other one right, who looks two, like he's yeah. playing regularly and, and probably won't be loaned i i wouldn't think noah dobson is going to be a, a guy who's loaned at this point i mean he's got lou lamorello and he shrouds his decisions in clouds of secrecy <laughs> and has for years um plus i mean dobson was in the lineup for the first time last night uh since november 27th and i think it was a nick letty injury and from what i understand maybe even thomas hickey who's in the minor leagues, who's also uh, in the American Hockey League, uh, was also injured. So that really kind of hurts the depth of where the Islanders are right now. So if I'm looking at it, and my personal opinion would be probably a 90% chance that he's not released. And then when I look at uh, where we are with the prospects of a guy like Barrett Hayton, I'd say probably a 70-30 chance that he is released. Um, you know, I think the experience will be really good for him. I think he's been in 14 games so far for Arizona. His minutes are, last I checked, I think, I think it was around 10 minutes a game, uh, his average. Um, four points in those 14 games. So I think he's a guy who would really benefit from the experience in Hockey Canada that could really, really use him. Yeah, and, and, you know, how does the complexion of the team change if if one or more of these guys are added? Uh, does it does it change just on the experience? Does it add to the skill level? You know, what are you looking at if, if you get uh, Dobson, Daw, or Hayden, one of any of the three? Yeah, well, Dobson changes the complexion of your team immensely because he rounds out your top four. And I look at Jared McIsaac as, as a returnee. Uh, then you'd have Dobson, of course, and you'd have Ty Smith back there. 
And then the guy that I think locked in next is probably Bowen Byron or maybe even mm-hmm. Jacob Bernard Docker. So it really, really solidifies your back end, which I do believe is probably going to be a strength of this team. When you're talking about the guys up front, you know, Valeno can play center or wing. Likely he'll be a center here. And the same thing for Barrett Hayton. He gives you a real good 200-foot type center. So it does change the complexion and the depth down the middle of the ice. You're looking at Ty Delandria probably being your third-line guy. You're probably looking at Hayton as being your first or second-line guy. Valeno being the other first or second-line guy. And then, you know, is it Crew? Is it Akil Thomas? Is it Dylan Cousins who takes the spot? Uh, in the middle of the ice thereafter. So it really, really gives them a lot of strength and a lot of competition down the middle of the ice. Now, it might force a guy like Cousins to the wing. Uh, Bo Grew might force him to the wing, even uh, Akil Thomas. But luckily for all those guys, they've had at points lengthy stretches in their careers where they played the wing. So it wouldn't be such a huge adjustment for those guys. And it would increase to your size, your age, your strength down the middle of the ice. You know, especially if you add Hayton into the mix, you're talking about a guy who's this draft plus two year. You're talking about um, a guy in Ty Delandria draft plus two year. So you're you're gaining some age and experience there. You know, the the thing that uh, catches my eye uh, at this camp in particular is that the guys that are draft eligible in 2020 i think there's almost 10 mm-hmm. of them uh, and you know the, you know there's there's guys that are there that uh uh, have a fringe shot at making the team, but it's good experience for them. And, and you know, if they have a great camp, uh, they can do it. Uh, tell me about Jamie Drysdale, um, you know, how he fits into this mix. This guy had 31 points last year, and uh, he's almost at that mark already. Or he had 40 points last year. He's at 31 points this year in 29 games. Undersized defenseman. Tell me about him and, and how you think he slots in. Uh, right shot guy. A marvelous, marvelous skater. So I think he has an edge on the competition there because of his great skating ability and then going to the big ice. But this guy plays a, a mistake-free type of game. Uh, and I think people think that because maybe he's undersized that he you know, um, maybe lacks in, the, in his ability to defend. And that's definitely not the case with Jamie. Uh, and I walked him through two uh, Canada-Russia games playing against much older, stronger players. And in fact, not only did he not look out of place, but he was a factor in terms of, of puck moving. And the one thing that Dale Hunter wants from this, from this group is good, quick puck movement, get it going D to D, get it in the other end, get it in on the forecheck and go from there. And if those options aren't available to you, then you have a guy who can keep the puck out. So to be perfectly honest with you, he to me, he looks like a guy who might start in the seven hole here. He was a real good chance to start in the seven hole. And, um, you know, the more he plays, the more trust he, he gets from the staff and maybe elevate himself up the lineup. But I think he's got a real good opportunity to make this team. And, you know, Dean, I talked to a lot of scouts. I talked to one guy today and said, you know who really surprised me? I mean, I know he's a great player. He's a top 10 pick in the draft. But Jamie Drysdale, he's been dynamite this year. He has been just dynamite. And, and I've heard more than one scout echo those same sentiments. So I've been really impressed by him, too. Pretty awesome young man. Um, you know, he's made the first step by getting the invite. And uh, by all means, he's a guy that uh, the rest of the defensemen should be keeping an eye on because he's, uh, he's a really, really good player. And there's not a ton of defense in there. So the competition is going to be stiff. You know, I, I I haven't seen Jamie Drysdale play, so I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing him play. Just looking at, just basing it on size and ability, right-hand shot, 
You know what name comes to mind is Ryan Ellis, who had a pretty important uh, role uh, in Team Canada scoring that goal against Russia uh, for as Jordan Everly scored. Uh, I don't know if they're similar at all, but that just comes to mind. Ellis and Drysdale about the same height. Um, you know, Ellis has a little bit more weight on him as he's older. And, um, you know, just like uh, Drysdale is doing now, uh, you know, Ryan Ellis took off in his second year in, in Windsor. Is there any similarities to their game? There are some similarities in terms of their size, in terms of their underrated ability to defend. Now, I think Ryan is a more um, dynamic offensive player who had the big bomb of a shot. Right, yes. Uh, Jamie Jamie doesn't possess that bomb of a shot. But I would also say, Dean, that they're similar in the fact that if Jamie makes this team, in my opinion, he probably makes it as a seven guy and has a chance to elevate himself. And if you can remember when Ryan Ellis made it, he was a seven guy was brought in just for the power play yeah. by the end of it. He was playing, playing regular minutes in the top four. So I, I could very much see Drysdale being that type of guy. Having said that, you know, you're going to have to bypass some pretty good players because you got Smith and McIsaac already back there. If Dobson gets released, there's three returning guys. Well, you're not going to slot ahead of them. And then you're looking at Jacob Bernard Docker in his draft plus two year, uh, Kalen Addison draft plus two year. You got Bowen Byron, who's extremely dynamic. So he's going to have to leapfrog a lot of people, but Noah Dobson probably impacts his ability, A, to make the team, yep. and B, play higher in the lineup, maybe more so than any of the rest of the defense in there. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you're, you're right. Uh, Ryan Ellis was the 13th forward, and by the end of it, he was keeping the puck in on that play uh, so Jordan Everly could score, and then Canada wins it in a shootout. Um, and the 7th defenseman and the 13th forward, it's an interesting concept. I mean, if you're dressing seven defensemen uh, or an extra forward in the NHL uh, or the CHL for that matter, they're probably not playing a lot. In this tournament, the seventh forward or that 13th defense or the seventh D or the 13th forward, whatever it is, they're kind of like that Swiss Army knife. They get put into a lot of different situations. Uh, they might not play a regular shift, but they play a lot of different areas, don't they? Well, there, there's no question. And, and you know, I don't know if, if Hockey Canada looks at it that way anymore. I mean, you know, we tend to in the media look at it that way simply because it's a, it's a numbers game. Um, but I think they look at the opportunity to say, okay, we'll bring seven, we'll bring 13, and then allow themselves to, to figure out how they slot. But the one thing that Dale Hunter has not been afraid to do, and I'm not sure if he'll do it with this group or not, is play three forwards on his or three defensemen on his power play. Uh, we saw it in the Canada-Russia series in, in the Western League portion of the series uh, where he had three defensemen out there and, and it actually worked out pretty well. So if that is the case, and that changes the dynamic of the quote 13th forward or quote 7th D because those guys now will have to back up some of the minutes if they do go and do that with, with a three defensemen set in the power play. So that'll be an interesting dynamic just to kind of keep your eye on uh, as this tournament progresses. Uh, but there's no question that that player, I think, in, in you know, going back years past, was someone who was, you know, almost treated like an extra. Uh, this year, I think it's more, uh, in, in the last couple of years, more of a role-type position, whether it's a PK guy or a penalty kill guy or, you know, someone who you need a, on a bump-up shift with energy, um, you know, uh, that, that type of player. So I think the dynamic of that of that you know, the 13 and the seven has just changed a little bit. That's so interesting. The 3d on the power play. And yeah. uh, if, if that happens, it's going to be, 
a big talking point during the tournament. What do you like or not like about it? Tell me your thoughts. Well, I mean, we're I've seen Dale do it before with with the London Knights, and there's a you know a Detroit prospect, uh, Chicago prospect, formerly a Detroit prospect, by the name of Alex Regula, who the guy that they put net on. And then last year they had Regula, Evan Bouchard, and Adam Boquist, two first rounders, and and uh, and another drafted player in, in Regula, working their power play. It's pretty hard to argue. I don't want to say their power play seems to be about twenty eight percent. And it's like Enderman, Dean. If you see the numbers and they work, then everyone says it's a genius idea. Yeah. And if the numbers don't work in your favor, oh, what's this guy doing? Three defensemen on the power play. Are you nuts? Uh, so that's kind of the the, the the looks you'll get. But when you have guys like Thomas Harley or Bowen Byram or, you know, Ty Smith, Kalen Addison, who are really offensive-minded guys, it's not completely out of the question, especially if you're looking at your, your forwards and they're not getting the job done. Uh, and Dale's quick to be able to make a decision to see how it would work if there were three guys. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm not saying it's inconceivable either. So do you basically have three uh, shooting options up top and two of them one-timers? And uh, Yeah, yeah that's that's kind of how it works. And um, at least with this group, you know, with Alec Regula, he was a net front guy. So you'd have your, your 2D still okay. manning the point and rotating down to the half wall. Uh, but still have the one guy in front of them. I think with this particular group, it's almost like the, the top part of your umbrella, essentially. Right. It, it would be your guys and allow them to run free and be creative uh, in the offensive zone. And I guess the other part of that is you can be a little bit risk-taking uh, if you're one of them because you know you got two other guys back there who, who can defend in case of a short-handed chance back the other way. Well, yeah, the Winnipeg Jets used Dustin Bufflin from time to times in front of the net yeah. on, the, on their power yeah. play in the past, and uh, so uh, that'll be interesting. Also, goaltending um, hasn't really produced great battles for that number one spot in past years. Um, there were five guys at the summer camp. From those five, only two are in Oakville, uh, and uh, four of the camp at this year, three of them will go to the Czech Republic because you take an extra goalie. And Oilers fans are hoping to see uh, Olivier Rodriguez as the starter. How do you think this shakes down? Well, I think he's got one of the spots locked up. I'd say he's about as close to a guarantee as there is. Uh, but truly, for the number one spot, I think it's wide open. I mean, Nico Dodd has single-handedly helped the Guelph Storm be one of the top teams in the Ontario Hockey League this year. He's an undrafted guy, played behind Anthony Popovich at the Memorial Cup last year, rededicated himself this summer, lost a bunch of weight, and, you know, he's been marvelous. And the analytics say that he's arguably the top two or three goalies in the CHL right now, and I think the, the pure numbers uh, bear that out. You know, Joel Holford's an interesting story because a couple of years ago, he was in Swift Current, he was getting pelted with 40 shots a night. He gets straight to the Portland Winterhawks where he doesn't see as many shots, but probably sees more quality chances again. So he's well-equipped to deal with two different styles of game coming at him, uh, which I think that versatility is really helpful. Uh, and then I look at Hunter Jones, who does have some currency with Hockey Canada, whose numbers in the Ontario Hockey League have been fantastic. He and Nico Dawes have kind of battled back and forth for top spot in most of the goaltending categories in the Ontario League this year. Uh, a Minnesota pick, a big guy. So I, I truly believe that the competition is is wide open. But the way I look at it is Rodriguez one place locked up uh, because he's got the most Hockey Canada program of excellence experience. And then two of the other three are, are going to be battling for 
a spot on the team. And ultimately, the, the number one spot remains open any which way you look at. How about up front? What is going to be the toughest decision uh, that this regime is going to have to make up front? Um, well, just to, to be with, uh, about the young guys, and I think Cole Perfetti is a really interesting study there because when I look at Cole, he's a guy who's so smart. He makes goals around him better. He's got a real knack of being able to get out in the breakaway, but he's so good on the shootout, and I think that has to be taken into consideration based on how many times Hockey Canada has had a poor experience in the shootout that's essentially cost them you know, either a color of medal or a medal, period. So he's going to be a fascinating guy to watch. And he might end up being the guy who we say, quote, is the 13th forward who we use in very special situations, be it on the power play, be it in the shootout, if we, if we get to a shootout, um, you know, or, or that sort of idea. So he's probably going to be the guy who's going to uh, be talked about the most amongst the group in terms of, in terms of how they're, you know, they're going to employ him. Well, that's the, uh, it's the big question is how many draft eligible players can you take? Um, uh, in the past, the, you know, only a few make it, but, uh, if, you know, uh, this is what I look at it, Sam, if you're skilled and at the camp, um, I think you make sure you take enough experienced guys, but you know, you shouldn't just cut a guy because he's a draft eligible and the other guy is older, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know that that tends to be true. But Hockey Canada has had a tradition of, of really leaning on its nineteen-year-olds. Yep. So we'll see if if they move away from that under this, you know, Dale and Mark Hunter regime. Um, I, you know, it's pretty clear that with the Connors area added and, and the eight first-year draft eligibles, that they're not afraid to go younger if they feel that those players are more skilled than the older players. So that in itself is a huge departure from what we've seen. You know, if you go back the last five years, only six first-year draft eligibles have been invited to the camp combined. So when you're talking about eight here this year, that's a, that's a huge departure from, from what we've seen in years past. For sure. Um, talk about uh, uh, Mercer, uh, the the kid who was, uh, I, I don't think he was there uh, in the uh, summer camp, Dawson Mercer. Um, you know, guys like yep. that. Um I, I I love those stories. They play. They they literally play their way onto the team, don't they? Yeah, no question. And we've seen in the past, uh, you know, like a Stefan Della Rivera, or even going back to the days of Wayne Simmons, that have essentially used the uh, the Canada Rochesters and the CHL as springboards to go on and make the team. You know, I think uh, Nick or not Nick Foligno, Marcus Foligno was in that situation a few years back. So it's not unprecedented that that happens. And when it comes to Dawson Mercer. You know, he was very much on the radar, uh, no question. But in those two Canada-Russia games, those, those two games are what earned him an invite to this camp. Now, he's a right-shot guy who plays with energy, plays both sides of the puck. He's got a little bit of bite to his game. Um, and I think he's adaptable on that. He could probably give you some good PK minutes um, and, and yet still be a guy who can who can grind a little bit but is dangerous enough with, with his skill that if he plays in an energy-type situation, it doesn't mean he's just going to go up hit two or three guys and run back to the bench that if they're able to maintain or, you know, get possession of the puck while he's out there, he's a very, very dangerous and a real threat, uh, especially scoring off the rush. For sure. So, um, 
is this team going to be a uh, score off the rush team? Are they going to be a grinded team? You mentioned the blue line is going to be a big factor. What When you look at the players they have in camp and you envision your final team, what would you say this team's identity will be? What, what will they be known for at the end of this tournament? Well, I think you're going to look at a team that's got some grit to it. It's got some grind to it. You're going to look at a team that's, that's really going to want to play a transition game. D to D, get it up the ice go in and get it and then once you get it to, then then you're kind of open to do whatever you want creatively um, but Dale Hunter has had a lot of success with his London teams being essentially a trap and transition team killing plays in neutral ice getting a turn back the other way in a hurry and then trying to take advantage of either bad line changes tired players or players that aren't used to the attack coming back at them so quickly from neutral ice so I think you're going to see a lot of that as, as being the hallmark of what's what this team is all about how will the hunters influence this team during the tournament obviously we know one of them is coaching the tournament mark in the management group um, these guys have experience in in short tournaments obviously with memorial cups um, what what about the hunter influence on on this team much like you would talk about with a with a brent sutter behind the bench that sutter influence what about the hunter influence yeah i i think we're probably key and, and mark pointed out uh about dale best this morning when uh you know when mark was asked what does your brother dale bring to the table and he said, well he's a calm guy he's not an in-your-face guy he has a lot of respect for for his history not just playing the game but coaching guys like uh, you know osovechkin and and having coached guys like Corey perry and david boland in the past and and so on and so forth but he's going to be a guy that i think is going to move away from more of the shy kind of, hey, we better manage ice amongst our players and, and try and play three lines. I think you're going to see this guy lean on the top guys like he does in regular season play with the London Knights. And that'll probably be the biggest departure from what we've seen traditionally from Hockey Canada. Like his good players are going to see a lot of ice. They're going to see a lot of power play time. And they're going to lean heavily on the top guys. Those top guys will identify themselves between what we'll see in the, in the game tomorrow uh, on Wednesday against the U Sports Stars and moving through the pre-competition games that are played in Europe. So those top guys, I think, still have to establish themselves. But once they are established, then you're going to see those guys get utilized a lot. The other thing you're going to see is if you're not paying attention and you're not detailed in the defensive side of the game, especially in neutral ice, you'll lose your ice time. Period. End of story. So I think he's kind of a little bit of that old school type in the fact that He's one guy who commands such respect and has such presence back there that he still holds the currency of ice time, you know, which we're seeing less and less of, whether it's in the CHL or even the NHL for that matter. Okay, so the last time this tournament was held in the Czech Republic, 2008, Canada won. It was part of the five in a row, the last real dynasty uh, at this tournament. Uh, and... Uh, that that was an uh, interesting team uh, back then. Steve Mason took over uh, at some point uh, during the tournament in the goaltending situation. The last time Canada won was 2018. Last year, uh, they rolled through uh, the round robin until they met Russia. They lose that game. They lose to Finland in overtime in the quarterfinals, and they don't medal. And it puts them in a pretty tough division uh, in a in their, in their group this year. The U.S., Russia, the Czech Republic, and Germany. Uh, are all in their group this year. So 
What do you think Canada's chances are? What do you expect from this team at this tournament uh, when it's all said and done? Well, it's, it's going to be fascinating, no doubt. And what's different than maybe years past because of the placement and where they are um, is the fact that you don't get that sort of cream puff game that you typically get if you're a medal winner the year before, the way the schedule is set up. So I think, you know, getting the United States right away is going to have to maybe alter the preparation slightly and that you're going to jump right into the tournament with both feet as opposed to being able to ease into the tournament. So that's, uh, you know, that's the first thing about being in that group. But there's n- there's not going to be an easy game there. And, you know, people might sleep on Germany a little bit too, but I think both Morris Sider, I think both Tim Stutzel is highly rated for this draft, a couple of other guys, you know, right goes there. They're going to have some players that, that can do some damage, um, you know, and that, that should be able to strike and should be able to score a little bit. So that game is not even going to be a cream puff game for Canada. In terms of overall, um, you know, you know, I think a medal is a is a, is a you know is a is a goal, uh, and I'm not necessarily saying a gold medal, but I think for this team to medal based on its youth, based on its inexperience, goal is going to be a real accomplishment here. But I've been surprised by four before by what the Hunters have been able to do, and it wouldn't shock me that if they were able to you know pull off a couple of tricks and and get it done uh, the entire way. But from my personal perspective, where I see it with the lack of experience in goal and with the youth that they're going to have to take at least some of it, um, you know, I think a medal is a is a real good accomplishment. All right. Uh, you're going to be out here in uh, my neck of the woods January 5th uh, to watch the Oil Kings uh, as, the, as they sit right now, the top team in the Western Hockey League. Um, you know, there was that great dynasty. And, and by the way, uh, congrats to Derek Laxtall, who's now on an NHL bench in Dallas. He was the uh, the head coach of those uh, three straight Memorial Cup teams. They they won twice, then they dipped down, as happens in junior hockey. And, and now this Oil King team's on an upswing. You must be looking forward to coming out and seeing them play. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I just uh, met Brad Lauer for the first time last year and was so impressed by what he's been able to do uh, with this group, I mean, you know, they're, they're scoring goals. They're doing a decent job of keeping the puck out of the net. Um, you know, they get a decent uh, home record. They've been good on the road. Uh, there's a lot of good things going on with this with this team right now. And it's, you know, power play's pretty good. It's not the best. Penalty killing has been a has been a strong suit. So they tend to be in the upper echelon in all the really important categories. Uh, and and I like the balance of their group. So it's going to be fun for me to kind of sit back and see, you know, Brad in year two. I think there's always an adjustment as a coach when you come from the pro ranks back to the back to the junior ranks. But you know, when you look at their entire, there's some really good balance there. A lot of guys with you know four, five, six goals. Um, you know, when I look at what they've been able to do, and Dylan Miskew's now applying his trade and for the Hunters in London, go figure. But you know, Costa and Scott have done a decent job there. I mean, Costa looks like he's kind of emerged as the top guy. I, I don't know. I, when I look at this group, though, it's, nothing smells rock star to me, but a lot of things smell balanced to me. I like the resurgence that uh, Josh Williams has had. You know, he's been a fascinating character character to watch going back to his Helenka Gretzky Cup in Edmonton a couple of years ago it's from, the you know, the trade uh, that's been made to acquire him. Um, it's been a fascinating thing to watch. What I also like is Kind of their balance in terms of age groups. You look at, you know, a guy like Gunther, who's a young player, neighbors who's a year old, or 
Robertson, who was drafted last year, and they seem to have a real nice mix of older and younger players. So there's a lot to like about the Edmonton Oil Kings team. And the one thing that I guess sticks out to me most about the hockey club is the fact I don't see that truly rock star guy. I don't know if I call Riley Sawchuk that rock star guy. He's put up really good numbers. But I don't know if that player exists in this group. And maybe that's they're benefiting from no one being that, that go-to guy that everyone has to get it done by committee. Uh, it's a it's it's a it's a good point. Uh, as for the rest of the Western Hockey League, um, I was in Winnipeg recently. We went and watched an ice game at uh, Max Bell Arena. Um, I'll be looking forward to when they have the uh, the new complex built because that <laughs> uh, that that Max Bell the the Wayne Fleming Arena is it's nice. They've done some nice uh, renovations, but it it is a. Uh, it reminds me of the Sportsplex in Brandon. I don't know if you ever saw that arena at one point, but that's where the Bobcats used to play. But uh, it's neat that the uh, Winnipeg Ice are, uh, you know, Winnipeg is back in the league. They're playing well. Um, PA, obviously, playing well. Uh, who's standing out uh, that you've noticed from the Western Hockey League uh, other than the Oil Kings? Well, Prince Albert for me. I mean, you know, you look at their goals against, it's down a little bit. they got a couple of guys that are returned from the back end. They got some size back there. They play with fight. It's a tough barn to play in. Um, but I thought with the loss of a lot of key players, um, you know, I mean, Noah Gregor makes the, the jump up to the National Hockey League, that they'd, that they'd struggle a little bit this year. And it's been anything but that for, um, you know, for what the Prince Albert Ravens have been able to do. Curtis Hunt has made a couple of deals. They get rid of Cole Font, said to Everett. They bring in some younger pieces, get some picks. So it looks to me as if they're in that real nice, zone where they're able to compete at a high level yet still turn over some of their older players inject some of that youth in the lineup and they look to be one of those teams going to be a perennial contender here um you know for the foreseeable future and that's really impressive in a small market having said that you know going to a memorial cup and winning a whl title can attract a lot of attention to your program and make it a bit easier for you to drop players so i've been really impressed by by prince albert no question you know, Winnipeg, uh, Matt Cockle has made a million trades there. Um, you know, you can see on the horizon for them that they're starting to come a little bit. Kamloops has had a nice rise to prominence this year. Their team is starting to rock and roll a little bit. You know, Cologne has come on of late, and that's a, a bit of a departure from what we saw. But how can you help but look at the Everett Silver Tips? Mm-hmm. Year in and year out, whether it's Carter Hart or Justin Wolf, or going back to earlier days, Leland Irving, their kind of mantra remains the same, whether it's Kevin Constantine or Dennis Williams, their mantra remains the same, that they're a really good defensive team, yet they score enough goals to be able to win most nights, and they're doing it again. I have so much respect for Gary Davidson, the general manager there. Like, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by their uh, continuous ascent to the top. Uh, and so they're a team that's, uh, you know, that continues to get it done, and I've been impressed by that group as well. All right, man. Well, uh, uh, have a good time when you get to Edmonton. Hopefully, I'll see you down uh, at the uh, rink and enjoy the the World Juniors. I know it's a uh, it's always a fun time to be able to see the guys from their club teams come together for the national team. So, thanks so much, Sam, for joining me on Sports and More the podcast. And I hope we can uh, chat again soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks so much, Dean. Oh, that was awesome. Sam Cosentino from Rogers Sportsnet doesn't have a Twitter handle, uh, but he does know a lot about uh, junior hockey, and that's why he was a great guy to have on the show today to preview the World Junior Championship. We're going to have a lot of World Junior talk uh, on Sports and More Live, which you can hear 2 to 4 Monday to Friday, 
2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday, Mountain Time, on the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network. We're doing our top six big six world junior style. So we're taking the top six countries in hockey, Canada, the U.S., Russia, Sweden, Finland, the Czech Republic, and we're doing the top six players from the world juniors from those company, countries. Three forwards, two defense, a goalie. We're starting that next Monday on Sports and More Live. You can win a gift card a day from Pro-Am Sports. It goes Monday, December 16th to Monday, December 23rd. Six countries, six gift cards to use at Pro-Am Sports in store or online at proamsports.ca. So really excited about that. Now to the Acme Meat Market Trivia Contest. A gift card from Acme Meat Market is up for grabs. You can visit them at the Ritchie Market 95 70, 76th Avenue. Check out their website, acmemeatmarket.ca, and know that you're getting meat from basically the Mark Messier of Butchers. Corey the Butcher, which is his Twitter handle, he's on Team Canada for the World Butchers Challenge in September 2020. So our question is, who was named World Junior Tournament MVP the last time the tournament was held in the Czech Republic? You got to go back in time, we talked about him in that interview with Sam, Sam Cosentino. Who was named tournament MVP the last time the World Junior Championship was held in the Czech Republic? That's going to wrap things up. Big thanks to Sam Cosentino for joining us on the program. Looking forward to more Hockey Canada talk and World Junior talk as December rolls on. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Playtime is over. Stopped when his dad yelled, Shut up. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Cut the gas when his girlfriend yelled, Slow down. Cameron used to read, but he closed the sleeve when his friend yelled, Hey, Yeah.